Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. It's time for another Political Rewind. Glad to have everybody with us for today's show. Um, Now that we have uh, restaurants uh, uh, opening, or in some cases not opening, or at least there is an order that they can if they want to, we now have uh, massage therapists, we have bowling alleys, we have tattoo artists, everybody who can go out there and, uh, and start business if they want to. We thought this would be a good day to talk to some small business operators about where they stand on moving forward with getting their businesses back up and running. And we're going to get to that, <clears throat> excuse me, in just a minute. Before we do, let me give you the latest figures that we're looking at from the Department of Public Health. Um, by the way, Tom Faust points out to me that the Department of Public Health, State Department of Public Health website has really uh, stepped up its game and has put a lot more information, a lot more data, a lot more charts on that site, it's worth checking out when you get a chance. In the meantime, here's what they're telling us as of, I think, 7 p.m. last night. We now have 24,349 confirmed cases. That's up 921 cases in 24 hours. That's important because it means that we're still gaining cases in Georgia at the same time the governor has decided he wants to open at least parts of our economy back up again. We've had, uh, at this point, 1,038 deaths, 122 deaths reported in just the past 24 hours. Uh, Doherty County has the most deaths, 114. Fulton follows with 103. uh, And uh, other metro Atlanta counties uh, fall behind that. Bartow, Mitchell, uh, Sumter also have uh, uh, double-digit deaths reported in their communities, uh, which we're very sorry uh, to have to report. Um, so let's go ahead and get into a conversation first about the reopening that Governor Kemp uh, inaugura- initiated uh, last week. Uh, he f- came out yesterday afternoon and held a news conference in which he was very adamant in defending his reasons for reopening the state and lashed out at critics who uh, didn't approve of what he'd done. I want to welcome Tamar Hellerman, who, of course, is a senior reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is uh, with us on Tuesdays to be part of this section of the conversation before we introduce our business uh, uh, guests. Uh, Tamar, the governor was very sharp yesterday in going after critics, uh, saying that they didn't understand what the data shows, He was tough on everybody except President Trump, who's the one who lashed out at him twice last week. What did you make of the way the governor presented himself and presented his argument yesterday? Well, his tone, especially during the the question and answer session, reminded me a lot of something you'd see out of the president. Uh, The the first question came from an NBC News reporter, um, and and immediately, you know, the, the governor kind of 
came out very sharply saying, you know, I, I know it may be hard for NBC News to understand this, but but all the data supports what we're doing. And and he really did take a sharper tack when it, when it came to that. Um, last night, we saw his uh, his public health commissioner, Kathleen Toomey, uh, in a video posted on the, the governor's Twitter account, kind of walk through um, kind of the, the state's reasoning for, for reopening. Um, and, and then when it comes to, to Trump, you're, you're right, Bill, that, that was kind of the one person who, who the governor did not go after yesterday. Um, and, and he kept saying, you know, he appreciated what the president is, is doing. Um, and he also talked about uh, the, the media dividing us, which was a very, very Trumpian uh, uh, response. Um, you know, I, I, one of the things that I find fascinating, Tamar, and I know you have been digging for weeks now because we've talked about this, to get more data. You want to understand what data the state is looking at. And I thought yesterday, once again, was an example of where the governor's position on this, and especially in response to the NBC reporter, seems to be, just trust us, we have the data. Don't, don't worry about it. We have the data we need to be able to start reopening for business. Um, and, and I thought that was sort of, an, I'm not quite sure why they're not more willing. I, I don't doubt that they have that data, but it feels as though that's something that a Governor Kemp could be giving us in ways that would underpin his argument a bit better. It, it does feel like he leaves us with this sense that, just go along with me. I know what I'm talking about. I, I, I think that's part of the discomfort some people are feeling. Yeah, the, the White House and its guidelines for states that want to reopen um, their economies. And I, I say guidelines because they're suggestions, but they're not requirements, states can go ahead, they do list about six or seven prerequisites that states are supposed to meet. And so I, I've been kind of talking to the Department of Public Health, kind of going down the list. Okay, you know, the, the White House says you need to see a downward trajectory in, for example, influenza-like illnesses reported within a 14-day period. Does Georgia meet this? Do we meet the downward trajectory of documented COVID-19 cases? And, and on and on and on. And, and you know, it's, it's hard. And, and there's a lot of kind of splitting hairs here sometimes. You, you may see an encouraging trend, but sometimes it's hard to point to exact data. Uh, you listen to Kathleen Toomey, and, and yesterday she mentioned how, um, you know, the state did not yet fully meet the criteria, but mentioned that she saw enough kind of positive downward trends that, that she felt good about the decision. Um, and she mentioned the state was on, on track to plateau in, in numbers. Um, one thing that, that Brian Kemp said yesterday that, that was interesting is he talked about how, you know, there are all sorts of models and how, you know, they're only so helpful in all of this. He could, he could only listen to so many because they're just projections and any, um, you know, any action that he's going to take is, is going to change those models. And that's absolutely true. Um, the IMHE model from the University of Washington, the one that, that he, the governor has mentioned a lot in his press conferences, um, you know, this model has changed in the past week or so to show that uh, indeed, the peak for Georgia is is ahead of us, not behind us, as as we initially thought. And the whole model is underpinned on Georgia um, maintaining shelter in place until June, which which looks like that might not be the case. So a lot of things changing really quickly, and it's kind of hard to get a full sense of of what Kemp is up to. Um, let's just to uh, share with listeners who didn't get a chance to uh, see the the governor at his news conference yesterday, just to get a taste of kind of the attitude he brought with him. Let's listen to that exchange with the NBC reporter. He had just finished a long statement, 
And uh, she, I believe, was the first one to get a chance to ask a question. We're going to first hear her, and uh, then we'll hear the governor respond. Twice last week, the president criticized the decision, said it was too soon, as have a number of governors or mayors across the state. And the state doesn't meet the White House threshold for a recommended two-week decline in cases. Was so that a question said, or an opinion? Nope, that's a question. I'm, well, I'm, you just made a statement. You didn't ask a question. What's your question? Getting to the question right now, sir. Okay. Thank you so much. For those who say that the move came prematurely, that this came too soon, can you tell us specifically what data you use to determine that this was the safest choice. Well, I know it may be hard for NBC News to understand this, but all the data is publicly available on the Public Health Department's website. I, I think, uh, tomorrow that's part of what I mean. I, I, I understand that the governor's feeling a bit defensive right now. He, he is, has been under uh, a lot of pressure. He's been attacked. Um, but it, it strikes me that it, that's a moment in which he could have said, well, yeah, we do have some data. Let's give you the numbers, whether it's him or Kathleen Toomey, instead of turning this into uh, his decision to go after uh, the media claiming that we're trying to divide him. Uh, it, it's, it's just, you're right, it's a Trumpian kind of choice, Tamar. Yeah, and I mean, right now in the Republican Party, you, as an elected official, especially in Georgia, as a Republican, you, you can't criticize the president. You can't get away with that right now and stay popular with the, the Republican base. So, so that option has been taken away from, um, from the governor. And I guess, you know, he'd been under a ton of pressure from people like Trump to, um, to begin taking steps to, to reopen. Um, so, yeah, what do you do at this point? You, you point to an enemy that's proven to be pretty potent with your, with your base. Uh, one last thing, and then we're going to move on. Uh, we're approaching the moment in which the governor will announce whether or not he's going to extend the shelter-in-place order. That's set to expire at the end of Thursday, April 30th. Will he extend it into May? He's already extended it for vulnerable people in the population, uh, the elderly, those with uh, additional health risks. Uh, but tomorrow given that he's already started opening some of the economy, it's going to be interesting to see how he responds to the uh, decision to uh, lift shelter in place. And we have no idea, at least I don't, do you, where he's heading? No, not at all. And he mentioned yesterday he was still trying to look at the data and figure out what he wanted to do. But already since then, he's announced on Twitter that he's going to allow short-term rentals like Airbnbs to, to resume. So potentially that's a sign that, that he might want to end that shelter in place. As you mentioned, he said he's going to continue it for, uh, for elderly people, more vulnerable population until uh, mid-May. And he was pretty strong that that, that is something that, that is of high mind for him and, and that may well continue if, if data shows that, that there's not much of a change there. Okay, we'll watch for that. The governor's office suggests that sometime tomorrow we may hear from him on uh, that decision. Um, all right, let's move on. Uh, we, we know, everybody knows, that the governor began allowing certain businesses to open again as of Friday. Uh, bowling alleys, uh, massage therapists, uh, uh, barbershops hairstylists, tattoo parlors, and others. And, of course, yesterday was the day that restaurants were given permission to once again have in-dining uh, hospitality. Um, most turned out not to want to do that. We don't think that there's a great rush to open restaurants across the state. And for that matter, we didn't see a lot of barbershops, a lot of hairstylists, uh, and others who could start on Friday 
opening up either. Although I have to say there were people lined up to get their hair cut in Atlanta on Friday morning when doors were opening. That said, let's talk to three business owners in Georgia about their situations and, uh, and, and listen to how they're planning to get back to business once they feel they can. Um, we're going to talk to uh, Christopher Escobar. He is the owner of the Plaza Theater in Atlanta. Uh, Chris, you've been the owner. How long have you had the Plaza Theater, which is kind of a, an institution on uh, Ponce de Leon here? It's been around for, what, almost uh, 80, 85 years, right? Yeah, 81 years. I've owned it for just going on three years now, but I've been involved with the Plaza for the last nine and it's important to say that when you came along, you essentially were part of, the, uh, of an effort to rescue the plaza. It had fallen on very, very hard times. It, it looked as if the plaza would close its doors, that we'd lose a theater that was cherished by the Atlanta community. Uh, but you have made a m- major effort to uh, really revitalize it and, and keep it alive. So in a minute, we'll talk to you about how the pandemic is affecting that. We're also joined by Bunny Hilliard, who is the owner of Brave and Kind Bookstore in Decatur. Uh, Bunny, your store caters to uh, children and families. Uh, how are you doing these days? And, and how long have you had your store open? That's right. We are in the Oakhurst neighborhood of Decatur, and we, are, we have made just around a year and a half in business. Um, so... We have been um, <laughs> a business that has been built around connecting uh, the community and family. It has certainly uh, been a challenge to uh, maintain that spirit uh, as we move our inventory online and, and, and change ourselves into a, an online bookstore. So um, I want to ask you one quick question because I think there's some confusion about what stores, what kind of retail has been open and what hasn't been. There was nothing that prevented you from keeping your doors open for retail uh, during the shelter-in-place decree, was there? You were, you were never required, as, as restaurants were, to shut down to business in your stores, were you? Um, I think the, our city, in particular, city of Decatur, did have specific rules around um, inviting uh, folks into your um, establishment. So, uh, yes, I, so, I so did. it was the yeah. city, but the state, yeah, but the city, but right. the state didn't uh, prevent you from doing it. Okay, I'm I glad think, you told me right. that. Tamara, you want to uh, start by asking a, a, a question of uh, Christopher or Bunny? Yeah, so I'm curious about how you guys have approached the whole government aid debate. Um, the, the Paycheck Protection Program from Congress has proven to be wildly popular with, with small businesses who I'm sure are all taking, you know, really okay. hard financial hits okay. right now. All right. Um, and I'm curious how you guys uh, approached that when the money was made available, whether it was something that, that you guys knew you wanted to apply for or if there were reservations and, and did you ultimately apply? Yeah, uh, Bunny, would you like to go first? Sure. Uh, so I I chose not to apply for the paycheck uh, the paycheck protection program. I'm a sole proprietor, um, and largely ran just by myself and my husband and my kids. Um, and so you know, feeling like the only person's paycheck that was affected 
uh, was my own, I, I did feel the need to kind of acquiesce to other small businesses, folks that I know who have other mouths to feed um, in, in their staff and employees. Um, and so while I did uh, apply to some of the grants that were out there, um, I, I, I chose not to. Uh, I'll say, mm-hmm. I'll say uh, for us, we've applied to like 10 different things, uh, as, certainly at the Plaza Theater and then the other organization I run, the Atlanta Film Society, uh, which does the Atlanta Film Festival. Um, we, uh, you know, pay- payroll protection, uh, the EIDL, uh, a number of others in the private sector. Um, I'll say for the Plaza Theater, um, I think we're, we're hopeful that we're going to get the payroll protection program. Uh, and that's only because we've been lucky enough to work with City National Bank on that. But the interesting thing about this is people got to keep in mind it is only based on one month uh, payroll. Uh, the plaza, we have 10 employees. Uh, we're pretty lean and mean, so we don't have a huge payroll. And so uh, on top of the fact that it, you know, it's limited in what it would do towards there, you're allowed to use it for things like rent and utilities and otherwise, but the amount you get is not based on those expenses. And so if you're a place like ours that's had skyrocketing property taxes for the last few years or property expenses, um, you're allowed to use those funds, but the funds you get aren't with that in consideration. So it's kind of a, a, a paradigm there that that's, uh, that's a challenge, but. And how helpful has uh, this Chris, city have been? You had... Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm curious ahead. how helpful the, the city has been. There's some business owners who I've talked to over the last month or so who've asked, um, you know, the, the city to be a little more lenient when it comes to collecting um, taxes, that sort of thing. Have, have they proven to be helpful to you guys? Uh, in that regard, uh, and keep in mind, uh, at the plaza, we don't pay the property taxes directly. We pay it through the property owners. So there is a kind of a, 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 a distance there. Um, I, I, had, I was hoping to go after the Invest Atlanta program, and it basically closed as quickly as it opened because they got just overwhelmed with applications. Um, the city recently approved uh, a, a level of funding for small businesses, and we're going to be pursuing that as well. Um, so, I mean, from the regard of relief aid, um, we haven't been able to have any, any luck yet with the city. But uh, I will say in terms of guidelines of operating or otherwise, the city's kind of been the only place that we've generally had some guidance. So we're very thankful for that. So I want to go back and ask each of you to talk a bit. Oh, go ahead, Bunny. Well, I was just going to say I'm, I'm leasing my space and so working directly uh, with my property owner to kind of gain some uh, relief as we move forward, knowing that I am unable to um, uh, utilize the space that I'm, I'm leasing in, in the way that we intended. Yeah, I, I had asked about so, the So but... let me go back. <laughs> l- l- let me go back and, Chris, uh, talk to you and then to Bunny just about the basics of where you stand right now. Uh, Chris, you said you have 10 employees. Have you had to lay them off at this point? Are they not able to, uh, are you not able to pay them at this point? So uh, most theaters in the city, which, I mean, every other theater in the city of Atlanta is owned by some major corporation out of the state of Georgia. Um, They uh, laid off all their employees uh, even before they were required to close. Uh, They closed and did that. Um, I in my opinion, the people who take care of the plaza are as indivisible as our marquee, as our screen. If I don't have employees, uh, I, the building might as well not exist. So we've resisted that and have kept our employees on payroll. 
um, to the capacity that they're available for the last 40 days since we've been closed. And um, that's well, so that- uh, been a challenge, but yeah, something we've, we've been committed to doing. So then let me ask you the most fundamental question. <clears throat> the governor says you can open your doors again. Why have you decided not to? Uh, I mean, it, it's it's not really that complicated or, you know, it doesn't even take much to think about it because truth be told, we're, we're about We're a venue where you've got to spend a few hours of time, uh, probably near a bunch of strangers and you can't, and you're there to have a good time. You can't have a good time if you're nervous about being safe. I mean, it's quite frankly speaking. And additionally, my very small staff over the course of, you know, doing business would interact with, you know, virtually all of the uh, customers there. So it just it doesn't make sense for them. And and a lot of people are saying, you know, okay, well, you, you don't feel safe. Don't go, go bowling. Don't get a tattoo, all that kind of thing. But it puts the employer in a really tough situation if they're telling their employees, you either have to be there or you no longer have a job. I mean, that's incredibly unfair. Now, that being said, doesn't mean we're doing nothing. Doesn't mean we're saying thanks, but no thanks, Governor Kemp. We are going to make use of the leeway that this gives us by doing some projects around the theater, um, you know, just with the staff being in the building, um, you know, running an online shop. We're going to be doing private screenings for individual first responder families. And then the biggest thing we're excited about is we're going to be launching a drive-in, hopefully starting this weekend. Uh, All of that would not be allowable were it not the leeway this gives. And this is one of the things that people outside of the state don't really understand Georgia uh, and how we have such extremes of progressive and conservative views. Don't understand the the situation, the complexity here. But, I mean, sometimes some leeway can give give you a chance to be creative and think outside the box without compromising people's safety. Bunny, you're, you said at the beginning that you're able to switch some of your sales online, and I looked at your website uh, before we did the show and saw that, that you, you're really promoting that right now. You also right. said that you're pretty much just a family business. Um, but it does strike me that, first of all, how are you doing with online sales? Is it making up in any way for having foot traffic? No, I, I, I mean, it certainly is our lifeline. It is, it is definitely keeping us afloat. Um, but it is, it is not, you know, I'd say my sales have declined by half at least. Um, and so it is not making up for the foot traffic as a whole. Um, you know, I will, I will say that it has certainly required me to, uh, get creative and, and build this robust website certainly was on our to-do list for this, <laughs> this year, put in uh, lightning speed, I'm hoping that when all of this is over and we are on the other side of this, that I can, you know, utilize this as as an additional um, revenue revenue stream for our business. But the business is based on community, and so we are unable to host celebrations and the the creative writing classes and and workshops and, um, you know, the other author events and and things where families come and gather, um, which was the bulk of creating a, a large footprint and a foot traffic into the store. So while it has proved helpful, um, it is it's not it is it's not making up for you know from a revenue perspective what um, is going to sustain us in the long run. Well, are you ready to open your doors again? I <laughs> am I ready, or do I feel like that's a good idea? Um, for us, I, yeah. I do not. It doesn't feel safe. I feel it, it does feel very daunting to consider 
um, opening our doors and inviting families into this space. And, you know, part of the reason that people come here is because it does, you know, feel like a, a third home to them. And so I just, I can't, I can't imagine with the uncertainty feeling comfortable um, doing that at this time. I feel like I would be putting my, myself and my family in danger and other people's families as well. It does, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like the, the right time to do that. I'm wondering what, what you guys would like to see um, or, or what you would need to see in order to feel comfortable reopening, you know, fully in your traditional ways that, that you've been open. Does there need to be a vaccine um, or, or do you think you'll, you would hit a point where economically it becomes so dire that, that you would feel the need to, to try and reopen? I'll say, for, uh, jump in. For one, I, I, I would need to see clear directives from public health officials and not elected officials that this is advisable. Um, I, I, I think in a, in a time like this, it's important to know what you know and, and then be humble and know what you don't know. And I don't know public health and policy. Um, I do know that elected officials are under pressure to get reelected. And so they have reasons outside of science to say and do things, uh, including economics and otherwise. And, and, and the reason I'm staying closed is because of science. Um, you know, economically, we've, we've been hit by a tornado, I say. And it, just because you can say, okay, you can open your doors doesn't mean there's not a tree still in the, in the middle of the way and a, a road's blocking and people aren't safe coming. So um, just because we can open doesn't mean it'll be safe for my staff, doesn't mean I can get the access to gloves and masks and all that level of hand sanitizer and, and cleaning, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, doesn't mean customers want to come and, you know, what does it matter if I'm, if I'm trying to be open like regular, you know, business and no one shows up. So, um, I, I, yeah, to me, I don't have a metric or, or a specific indicator. You know, I, I need clear signs from the people who know what they're talking about. I, I, well, I'm you in, also I'm need inventory. So, yeah, I mean, well, for me, I don't have the same challenge that other movie theaters do that completely rely on the same handful of companies putting out new product uh, because they're not right now. Uh, I'm lucky enough for our clientele knows and understands that we play a little bit of everything, including independent content, which is still available and out there, as well as the repertory content, you know, titles that have been out for years. So that's not as much of a challenge that it is for me as it is for the chainsaw. All right, look, I'm, um, I want to get Bunny back into the conversation, and I understand we now have Brad Evans uh, with us from Macon, so we'll invite him into our discussion as well. But first, let's get to a break. Uh, we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. We're back on Political Rewind. A quick program note tomorrow on Political Rewind, we're going to talk about mental health. And by that, I mean your mental health and my mental health in the middle of this pandemic. I'm, I'm pretty much an optimist by nature. I'm always fairly certain that things are going to get better uh, no matter what. But let's face it, concerns about assuring the health of family and friends, our uncertainty about what's going to happen next, 
uh, lack of social interaction are pretty troubling. And so tomorrow, we're going to bring in a psychiatrist. Dr. Raymond Kotwicki Kotwicki, uh, is the chief medical officer at Skyland Trail, which is one of the premier nonprofit mental health institutions in Georgia. And uh, I'm going to let him talk to us about the tools we need to cope during the pandemic. That's on Political Rewind uh, tomorrow. In the meantime, we're talking with small business operators uh, today. And I want to get back to that conversation right now and welcome. I'm sorry, Brad Evans, that we had some trouble at the beginning getting you on. But uh, just to introduce you again, you're the owner. Fine. You're the owner of the Society Garden in Macon. You've been shut down since March 15th. And uh, you can't reopen because uh, the governor has uh, uh, said bars are not able to open yet. Um, You also, though, you've gotten... Tomorrow, this is interesting. You asked a few minutes ago about about loans, about uh, the, the bailouts uh, from our other guests today. Brad Evans, you've already gotten a payment from the feds, yes? We have, yes. We applied, uh, you know, the day that we could start applying for the PPP loan. And uh, we also applied for an SBA emergency loan. And we also applied for a grant from a local uh, foundation here called the Making 30 Day Fund. And they all actually, uh, we got approval last week on all of them and received the funds last week. So, you know, for us, it, it, it takes a lot of pressure off. Um, you know, I know it's not an ideal loan, but right now it's the only loan we got. Um, so, you know, for us, it, it allows us to, even even as bars are, are allowed to reopen, and, and I honestly think the way things are going, they might. They might be allowed by our governor here pretty soon. We would be able to make the decision to do what we think is right because we have we have those funds now that takes takes a little of the economic pressure off of us. How many employees do you have? We have uh, eight employees right now. And, and are uh, they laid off, or are you trying to keep them on payroll? We have kept them on payroll, and uh, once the loans came in last week, we were able to back pay. Uh, some of our employees for the time that they've missed since March 15th. Uh, we cut them all checks. Today we got the funds, and that really helped them out. Um, a lot of our employees had have second jobs as well, and some of them have been laid off from those, and some have not. So, um, you know, in our situation, uh, most of them are doing pretty good right now. And, and I have the same question for, for Bunny and Brad that I had for Chris which is what you guys would need to see either from policymakers or um, just in terms of infection rates in order to reopen. And how much does this pure economics um, and the need to keep your businesses afloat, how much uh, could that impact your decision of when to reopen down the line? I mean, you know, I, I, I understand businesses who are, who are hurting, who, you know, have to open in order to have a source of income. I mean, you take away somebody's, uh, ability to feed their kids and, and things get get weird but uh you know I, I just want to see a little more time go by and i want to see what happens um in the next three or four weeks with our numbers again i i would like to see some health officials give us some clearance not elected officials um it's going to take a lot of time for our customers to be comfortable and i think uh I just think we need more time. Uh, I would I would hope that by mid June or end of June that we could 
start to to figure it out. I just don't. I, I would never feel comfortable right now opening up our doors. I mean, I'd have to be in, a, in agreement with the with the both of them. The things that they are, are saying are, are certainly um, my, my idea of what feels um, just um, just more comfortable. Uh, you know, I don't feel. I, I certainly, in my, in my mind, June felt like okay. Well, let's let's hold tight until June, and and see where we are. I'm going to need to see kind of some some proven remedies where where you know some examples of where things have have been successful, uh, again from public health officials as opposed to elected officials. And certainly, if I don't feel comfortable enough to send my children to school, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable enough inviting them all into this space either. Um, and so, you know, that's been an, another major kind of thing to contend with is, is managing, you know, what's happening here with also what's happening with the, with the schools. I have a, an 8-year-old and, and an 11-year-old. Um, and so, you know, thinking about, I think that's a, that's a major uh, kind of litmus test for me personally is to follow uh, what, what the schools are doing. And all of you guys have mentioned this in, in one way or another, but, but kind of different messages that you've heard from some politicians in the state and, and maybe not having a ton of clarity about um, kind of what's safe to do right now. Can you guys talk about that a little bit? Because it's something that the governor uh, mentioned yesterday, and he kind of blamed it on us, the media. Um, but, but just talk to me about how you guys have sifted through all this really rapidly changing information and <laughs> if, if, how long it took for you to come to your decision to stay closed. I mean, this is really important, especially in the beginning when uh, I don't think really anybody knew the scope of what was going to happen. Uh, it, 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 I just needed guidance, and, and we didn't get it from our governor, and we didn't get it from our mayor here in Macon either. Uh, we we ch we closed before we were required to close. It was another week and a half before our mayor spoke on it at all. Um, the first time he spoke, he 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 said some words that were pretty offensive. He just called it it wasn't a big deal for most people were his words, and that uh, it would just be a minor inconvenience for for most of us. And that you know at that point I'd already you know lost tens of thousands of dollars and w was set you know, we were set to lose a lot more. Um, so I, I could have used a little more guidance and I could have, uh, I think everybody around us could have, I mean, I think if we'd have all shut down a little earlier, you know, maybe we'd be in a different spot right now. So I'm interested in the fact that we have on this panel today, uh, Chris and Brad, Brad has already received, uh, some of the money that was appropriated by Congress and by the president, uh, and 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 Christopher, you've applied here and there and haven't gotten anything at all. And this disparity about who's getting money, nothing, nothing no problem with you, uh, Brad. It's terrific that you got money. But Christopher, you're still struggling. And this is part of the problem that people are feeling across the country, I think, uh, is that we're uncertain about who's getting money and when and why. Yeah. Well, and just to be fully clear, it looks like we probably will get payroll protection, uh, even though those funds haven't come through. Um, but yeah, everything else um, we haven't done, and even the, the, the payroll protection we're getting is, is a drop in the bucket at this point. 
I mean, yeah, the, that, that's where I, I really do understand at least where they're coming from, even if I don't necessarily agree on the approach to people who are protesting and all that, because at the end of the day, uh, I think all of us, <clears throat> one way or another, we're on a spectrum of, of realizing, okay, we need to hunker down, we need to do this, and, and especially because the message from government at all levels was, listen, this is what we need you to do, don't worry, we'll figure out the programs, we'll do the unemployment, we'll do the business re you know, relief, all of that, and so people held their breath. Then people started to turn blue in the face. And when when folks who had been told they'd be covered on unemployment, all of a sudden, oh, never mind, just kidding, you're not. And and business owners were told you'll be covered. I mean, you know, sole proprietorships, even like funnies and others were told, okay, you, you don't worry, we'll, we'll get it to you. And then those funds either dried up or are taken up by these me mega companies. I mean, I think people are right to feel betrayed and lied to. And uh, and and we've you know seen them not on the same page at the city, state, and federal level. Um, and, and we've seen, you know, a failure to manage expectations, I think, if nothing else, and then just re really a kind of a lack of consistency. And, and to one hand, on one hand, you got to understand these are people. Uh, this is a situation like we've never dealt with. But on the other hand, I think sometimes they're creating expectations that are just unrealistic uh, sometimes. And so, I, I, I mean, those are the things I'm, I'm looking for is for them to be a little bit more coordinated, give us a better sense of the kind of things they know and don't know. And at what points they're going to be making, you know, decisions on, and have a little bit of consistency. Bunny, you've turned, uh, you've you've said you'd rather the money go to people who you believe are more worthy of it or more needing of it. Put it that way. But right. what's interesting about that is there was uh, in the last uh, uh, measure, I think it was the second round of uh, uh, funds that were uh, made available. There was something like uh, sixty billion dollars earmarked here for uh, women and minority businesses that presumably you at your bookstore could have taken advantage of. Right. So I, I did apply for many uh, grant opportunities that were specific to women and uh, minorities and just small businesses in, in general. I think at the onset of the release of the, of the different um, government and paid CPT loans, that's a tongue twister. Um, PPP loans, um, I did, I, I was a little nervous about taking on um, additional debt and being a new business and feeling my ability to, if this did not all work out in my favor, the ability to repay that. I'm watching, uh, I, I get to see all of you on uh, FaceTime yeah. and I'm watching as you're talking, uh, Bunny. I'm seeing Chris nodding yeah. vigorously exactly. yeah, uh, I mean, when it comes is, to that. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 one thing to be able to get a loan from a cash flow standpoint, but then you're going to have to be have the ability to bounce back hard and repay that loan. And 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 folks like Bunny are trying to go. I'm not going to bite off more than we can chew. And I certainly understand the same thing. I mean, uh, in, in some ways, I my business is sort of like Bunny's in that you know there's individual people and and things like that. But in some ways, it's like Brad in that my business, you know, honestly, by and large is single biggest ignore significant source of business for us is our special events and rentals, you know, where, where it's two, 300 people in the building. And uh, even when I re can reopen and have regular, you know, movies and screenings, that business for me is going to be, you know, obliterated for probably the rest of the year, because there's not going to be people and companies who are willing to throw down the kind of money that that requires, because there's too much uncertainty for them. And so even when you're allowed to reopen, you know, if you've taken out all these loans, uh, unless it's these that have forgivable um, clauses to them, 
you're going to need to be able to repay them and, and earn even more money than you normally would to pay for the expenses you currently have, much less the ones you've been racking up for the last few months. So it's an incredibly difficult situation. All right, we've got to get our final break of the show out of the way. But when we come back, I want to ask, uh, along with Tamar Hallerman, a couple of hard questions. Uh, the hardest of all is to ask our three guests uh, how they're feeling about the ability to survive this very difficult crisis. We'll ask that and more, uh, but let's take a break from Political Rewind. Welcome back to Political Rewind. I'm joined today by senior reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Tamar Hallerman, who joins us on Tuesday's shows, and also uh, three small business operators in Georgia. Brad Evans is the owner of the Society Garden in Macon. It's a beer garden and music venue that he owns with his wife. Bunny Hilliard, the owner of Brave and Kind Bookstore, a children's bookstore, and you describe it also as a community space in Decatur, Bunny. And uh, Christopher Escobar, owner of the Plaza Theater in Atlanta, an institution uh, to people who are familiar uh, with it as they drive down Ponce and see that wonderful Art Deco uh, marquee that still marks the Plaza Theater. Um, so let me, if, if I could, and Tamar, please weigh in here, but it, I know this is a very hard question, but I'd like to ask each of you how confident you are that you're going to be able to pull through this. Uh, why don't we start with uh, you, Brad, because uh, uh, you're closed down and the state won't allow you to open, even though you may not want to quite yet. Are you going to survive? Yeah, we are. You know, I, I think hard times are nothing new to small business owners, and I've, I've been one my, my entire adult life. And, uh, you know, we, we know how to get through things. We know how to adapt. And I, I do think we are going to survive. That is going to require us to be able to you know, to open at some point. Um, I'm just going to... I'm just going to believe that we're going to figure it out. Um, I don't really have any other option right now. You know, um, I know uh, some things are going to have to change, and uh, I know we're going to have to to seriously adapt to some some new procedures. And I know it's, it's going to take a while, but I, I do believe that we'll uh, all of us as small business owners are going to try to find a way. You know, this is what we do. What, what does that mean, new procedure? I mean, are you envisioning the business itself in some ways it's going to have to change and adapt? You're going to have to be more nimble in that way? Are you talking about how you run your operations behind uh, the scenes? How, how do you see that happening? I, God, I wish I could look into the future and see. I just can't. You know, I, I mean, I, I know that we're definitely going to have to have to limit our capacity uh, when, whenever we are able to uh, reopen. My particular space is almost exclusively outdoors it's very large so uh you know i i personally feel a little better being outside than inside right now but uh you know i just i just feel like you know whatever it takes for us to be open and survive is what we'll do um but we're certainly going to keep our the safety of our of our staff and our customers in mind first uh, we can hold on for a for a few months if we have to uh, everybody's not lucky enough to be in that position. I'm certainly grateful that uh, that we are. But um, I just think if this goes on, we're just going to have to figure out a way to make it. It's our only option, right? 
Yeah, I, and I I realize it's a tough question, and my heart is with yeah. all three of you. Bunny, uh, you run this uh, lovely children's bookstore. Uh, you, you're a community gathering place. Do you? How concerned are you about being able to hang on and survive this? You know, it's really funny. I just, uh, as a small business owner, I think, you know, the the nature of of owning a small business is you have to be optimistic. You have to be hopeful to even embark upon such a journey. And so I think it's innate in us to to continue to believe until we don't have any other choice. I've only allowed myself to be hopeful during this entire process. And that doesn't mean that I, you know, haven't had some, you know, nights full of anxiety, but I will say I haven't had a day where I didn't have some sales, um, you know, throughout this and and throughout this entirety of the neighborhood, you know, we consider the train, (laughs) 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 we consider ourselves, we consider ourselves, I say we, because I I, I feel like we, I have built something that is a, extremely community based and driven and we consider ourselves kind of a neighbor a corner neighborhood bookshop and the neighborhood has been extremely supportive um, with their online orders with calling in and emailing with checking in Um, i've had the ability to you know reach a broader audience since we've moved our inventory online and 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 getting um, sales from all over the united states and outside of the united states as, as well because we've had to adapt and change and get creative with the way that we do business. And so, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I believe we will make it to the other side of this. Okay. Um, and I haven't allowed myself to believe anything different since the onset. Tomorrow, you know, we want to bring Christopher in about that same question, but, but what occurs to me tomorrow, uh, whether it's by coincidence or not, uh, Sam Burmis Dawes, who brought all of our guests together for this show, he ended up with three people whose businesses rely on community, on our coming together, and uh, and uh, whether it's sitting together in a movie theater, in a beer garden, coming and mingling in a in a bookstore with our neighbors from around us in Decatur. And I mean, and you know, it's not, they're not clothing stores, which are important, but these rely on, on, on bringing communities together. And as we go through this pandemic tomorrow, it strikes me that operations like this are going to be more important than ever to getting us somehow to rekindle that spirit of a community. And, and something that's so encouraging to hear, you know, I'm a, I'm a journalist, so I always joke that in general, we tend to be kind of pessimistic people. Um, and I think I kind of certainly am. So it's, it's great to see that everyone is still optimistic about and hopeful about what's to come, even in these really dire circumstances. So it's nice to hear, guys. Chris, I said at the beginning in introducing you, the Plaza Theater has had its ups and downs. It's looked on any number of occasions like it wasn't going to survive. You've kept it going. You've expanded the programming you're doing there. But, but, a year from now, will the Plaza Theater still exist? I think if uh, if the community around us has anything to do with it, yeah. And I got to say, um, you know, I'm, I'm only sort of continuing what, 
people before me have done uh, in sacrificing their time and their sweat and their energy and their dollars from previous owners who, like Johnny and Gail Ray, who took out a mortgage on their house to keep the place from turning into a Walgreens, um, to some incredible people who have, uh, you know, committed their time or their art or otherwise. You know, for me, I'm, I'm trying to look at the short term versus the long term, and we're very lucky where the community has rallied behind us. The Plaza Theater Foundation launched a GoFundMe, and people have been contributing there and donating everywhere from $0.78 cents to $7,500. Uh, people have been buying vouchers and tickets for future screenings and going to our online um, screenings and our, and our merchandise and things like that. It's, it's been really incredible. I, I, I know we can make it through the short term, uh, but going back to the point about racking up debt, I mean, we, we even though we've been bringing some dollars in, we still are bleeding. You know, there's a Band-Aid on the outside, but there's still internal bleeding. And the only way we're going to fix that is with real solutions for the long term to be able to bounce back. And so that's why we're trying to work with our property owners, uh, Sana partners, to figure out a long-term lease and see if we can make use of this time while we're down to do some of the more major projects that will allow us to earn more revenue once we're reopened. And, and so I think if I have a clear sense of the long term, I, um, then I'll be confident that we'll continue to survive. Right now, it's uncertain. Uh, as we're continuing to work through this, but um, but I do remain really, really hopeful. And that is only because while we do need dollars, we also need the will to go on. And people have been amazing with their comments and their encouragement. And that's the kind of thing that makes you determined to press on. Just like Brad said, there's, you know, giving up is not really an option. That, that's uh, Christopher Escobar, owner of the Plaza Theater in Atlanta. We've also been talking to Bunny Hilliard, owner of Brave and Kind Bookstore, a children's bookstore and community space in Decatur, and Brad Evans, owner of the Society Garden in Macon, which is a beer garden and music venue. Um, Tamara Hallerman, the word that keeps popping up, and I think all of them, none of them used it, but we could have applied it to each of them over and over in our conversations about coronavirus, uh, people learning to be nimble, whether it's in business, whether it's in science, research, any of the other things we talk about. Being nimble seems to be the key to how people feel they're going to get through this. Yeah, and, and what I'm curious to see overall is how many of the, the things we do, the changes we make, end up being permanent or lasting longer than this crisis. All right, that's it. We're out of time for today. Again, we're back tomorrow to uh, talk about uh, mental and emotional health during the middle of the pandemic. I'm looking forward to having you back here for that show. Uh, and uh, we'll be with you the rest of the week. We've got a lot of good shows lined up. We'll talk about those shows as we move forward tomorrow. In the meantime, this is Political Rewind. Everybody, have a safe day. <laughs>